we're fighting for survival and we want to survive and we are resilient and we will overcome. This is a podcast about the adventures of wild women. And through our adventures, we become wild women. We'll get into the heart of what adventure is all about and share stories from the wild women who inspire us to reach higher and dig deeper. We'll shine a spotlight on the mystery of places in the world we've encountered in our travels and where we're dreaming of going next. All women are invited to go wild with us. Welcome. Hi, I'm Caroline Owen, and I'm the host of this episode of the Adventures of Wild Women podcast. Today, we're exploring the art of resilience with our guest, Megan Hine. Megan is a wilderness guide, expedition leader, survivalist, and producer on some of the biggest adventure survival shows on TV. She's been creating content and keeping talent and crew safe in remote wilderness environments for the past 15 years. Bear Grylls has described Megan's leadership as stronger than 99% of the men he knows. As a resilience coach, Megan combines her knowledge of wilderness survival with her interest in the psychology of survival and the body's instinctive fight, flight, or freeze response. Megan is also the author of a best-selling book, Mind of a Survivor, What the Wild Has Taught Me About Survival and Success. Her book explores how being in wilderness situations can foster greater resilience in everyday life, along with some pretty epic adventure tales. Let's meet Megan now and hear some of those stories for ourselves. Hey, Megan, so great to talk to you today, and welcome to the Wild Woman Adventure podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to be talking to you. Awesome. So I wanted to start out talking about a concept that you've been exploring the last little while, I think, is the idea of resiliency and how being in the wild can up our resilience. resiliency. And I know from my work, I've, I've actually been working with resiliency in the last few weeks, um, in particular with a, with a group. And um, the idea that when we are challenged and we face those challenges and we overcome those challenges, that's how we build resiliency, not by sitting at home on the couch all safely tucked in with Netflix, but that we're out there doing the things and building that resilience over time. So can you talk a little bit more uh, about how that works or how that how you've experienced that or work with that in the wild? Yeah, resilience for me is is a real passion. It's so, I find it so fascinating. It's <laughs> this ultimately every single one of us is resilient, like right down to a cellular level. Um, we're fighting for survival and we want to survive and we are resilient and we will overcome. Uh, and it's just incredible. And I'm sure you've seen this with your clients and with yourself as well. Um, when you're out in these environments and you have to do whatever it takes to kind of get through you realize just how strong you are. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it was surprises people. And I think this is why the outdoors is such a great medium for kind of showing how resilient we are, because I think in the modern world, in the way that we, we tend to live, or a lot of people tend to live, is that um, we live these quite sort of static lives, if you like, and everything's, we, it's all around routine and kind of going about the same 
things daily and it's it's very rare or it can be quite hard to actually be able to step outside of our comfort zone and kind of face challenges uh, head on uh, or even know where these sort of challenges and things are coming in from um, because our lives in the, sort of in the modern world it can be so um, there's, there's so many stimuli coming in from lots of different angles all the time it can be quite hard to pinpoint where stress and anxiety and overwhelm and think things come in from uh, whereas when you're out in the the wilderness when you're out in the outdoors it's quite obvious you know where whether it's like from exposure whether it's coming from wildlife threats threats of other people um, or environmental risk in these in these areas and I think it's then very it's the way I love to be able to then use the the wilderness is then to use it as a medium to be able to show people you know use exposure as a way to be able to show trigger anxiety and fear in people uh, and to be able to kind of teach them how to then overcome that to kind of talk themselves back down and come out of the very primitive part of our brain where the fight flight freeze the stress response lives and back into the human brain of uh, sort of logical reasoning and uh, actually sort of talk yourself back down and then those lessons that you can learn out in the wilderness uh, from being in those situations can actually then translate back into everyday life where you don't necessarily know where the exact source of uh, stress and anxiety is coming from. Mm -hmm. So what kind of tools would you use with someone who's kind of having a little panic attack out there and you're like, you're okay, you've got this. How would you help them to get out of that primal brain and back into the, the sort of logical brain where, they, where they're in themselves again? So a lot of time it's creating that safe space, safe space. So, so when I'm guiding, if the idea is to go for a summit or maybe we're doing jungle survival or whatever it is that we're sort of moving through, we've got a goal. Prevention is always better than cure. So ideally, I don't really want my clients to get into a state where they're in fight, flight or freeze, because it's, as you know, it can be quite hard then getting people going again. Um, so as a guide, it's like I'm always trying to create like a safe space. So within my own um, comfort zone, uh, I'm creating a safe space for them to be able to step outside of their comfort zone and our very presence as guides is, is part of managing that situation and keeping people calm and uh, focused and able to kind of explore the environment and themselves in that environment um, as well. So that's a huge part of that. When I do resilience training, so example two years ago um and i was supposed to be over these past couple of years <laughs> i was supposed to be out in uh, kenya as well working with anti-poaching units so these are rangers from parks or africa that come together for a six-month training program um and then I, i've come in for a few weeks and help with the resilience training part of this uh, and it's taking people who are literally putting their lives on the line on a weekly basis. And they're, they're, it's they're incredible uh, men and women that experience firefights. Uh, sort of some of them on a weekly basis in the protection of, of these incredible animals. Um, and it's taking them and uh, utilizing the outdoors. So with them, it was like using height and exposure to kind of trigger in a safe manner. 
the perception of danger and the perception of risk. So um, they're safe because they're all on ropes and things, but they've never used, they've never seen harnesses, they've never seen ropes, some of them, uh, and they've certainly never kind of hung around in them. Um, so we're using that exposure to then trigger the fight, flight, freeze response uh, to then be able to, to get them to start thinking. So using uh, breath techniques, uh, sort of breathing, um, using the STOP acronym. Um, this is something that I use in everyday life as well. Whenever I start feeling a little bit anxious is to stop. So stop, think, observe, plan. Um, so as soon as you start feeling anxious or like you're triggered is to stop because you don't want to be, particularly if you get, for example, if you got lost in the in the wilderness, you know, you come off the trail to go for a wee and uh, you look at, you finish your business, you pull your pants up and you look around and you can't see the trail. It's so easy in that moment to run around like a headless chicken and then never find the path again. <laughs> Whereas the reality is if in that moment you just stopped and you think about it and logically you know, you've only come off the path 50 feet or so, it must be within your reach. Uh, so then you can like have a look around, so observe, so you can have a look around your environment and see what's around you. Can you see that path? Can you see the trail that might have been cut? Can you see cut branches or anything? And if not, then you can make a plan. So, um, you know, in that situation, I'd be then putting together like, you know, a search pattern of circles or squares where I'm ever increasing that. And at some point I'm gonna bisect that path. Uh, so, but I use, uh, use that in everyday life as well. Whenever I feel that anxiety is to stop, um, so maybe I'm going to be giving a talk or uh, I've got a difficult uh, interaction with somebody coming up. It's like, oh, then as soon as I feel triggered, I stop and I think about it. And I basically through that process, bringing myself back down into back into the human brain uh, and reasoning with myself <laughs> about it. Yeah, I love that, that idea of stopping and slowing down a little bit and sort of collecting your wits because we do make bad decisions when we make them quickly. <laughs> I, with, with my clients, I, I talk about comfort zone and how great comfort zone is if you're, if you're at home and you want to sort of stay static and then growth zone and then panic zone. So encouraging people to kind of stay within that growth zone where there's stuff happening. Maybe you're a little excited or nervous about it, but you're not going up into panic zone and, and, and helping people to recognize when they're in that place where they're starting to flip over and, and, speaking up and asking for help. Um, so I'm wondering if there's been a time when you've been a guide where you've kind of moved in towards your panic zone or you've kind of gotten yourself in a situation where you're like, oh, I'm not so sure I'm, uh, I'm in a good place for my clients here. This is a little more scary than I was thinking. Um, have you ever had a situation where you've been pushed to your edge a little bit as a guide? Um, should I be admitted to this? <laughs> <laughs> True secrets here. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what? The reality is, it's like, I don't know if you found this as well, but, you know, whenever I go and do like CPD courses and things, because of my own experience as a guide, I, like, I realise that none of us have got complete control over any situation. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's, again, it's like that, that prevention is better than cure. Um, is it's all about uh, your planning beforehand, isn't it? As, as much as possible. And you're so before I take an expedition out into country or set off on a journey with clients, I'm building like a, a net underneath me uh, mm. in case something. You know, it's like life, isn't it? No expedition ever goes completely as planned. <laughs> something mm -hmm. always always happens uh, to challenge to challenge the situation and to challenge your plans. Uh, but for me, it's really important to have that like that support net. Uh, below me that we can kind of fall into if the shit hits the fan 
Um, <laughs> but what I've noticed, you know, things snowball very, very quickly. Um, so yes, I've been in many situations where, you know, you it's uh, it's pushing your own limits as a guide, uh, or you're being faced, or you're faced with situations that you've never dealt with before, and in that moment, having to go through the dynamic risk assessments of, you know, what's the best the best answer and the best thing to do in this situation. You know, do we carry on? Do we go back? Do we stay where we are? Um, and it's all you're always running that situation. And sometimes, yeah, it is a it is a gamble of what the best decision is. And you know, when you are responsible for the lives of other people uh, and as well as your own it can be absolutely terrifying and it can be feel very, very lonely in that position as well. And there's something I, I've realised quite early on in my career is that, uh, and I think particularly for, for female guides, is that maintaining that client instructor guide relationship at all times is, is really, really important. Um, as soon as you let your guard down and become more buddy-buddy with, with your clients, that's when, when things really do go wrong. They may not listen to you. So at all times, you, as a guide, you have to be able to retain the ability to have the final say in everything. But when things go really wrong, so um, you know, I've had I've had landslides go off around me, uh, avalanches, road traffic accidents are another big one. Uh, in those moments, when you say stop, your clients have to stop um, and not challenge you in that moment. And, and you know, something that you can explain why you've been abrupt or why you've made the decisions uh, afterwards. But in that moment, you have to be able to maintain control of, of that situation. Do you find it different working with men versus working with women versus mixed groups when you're guiding? Do, do you find a difference there? Uh, yes, yeah, I, I do. Um, I tend to... Um, I like working with mixed groups. I think it brings like a sort of a more holistic dynamic. I find that women make better clients <laughs> because <laughs> they they listen more and they're they're more willing to follow your instruction and learn from you. What I've noticed is that um, guys tend to jump straight into stuff, so they might not uh, they might not have the skills uh, or knowledge, but or they might have a little bit of knowledge and skills and they just throw themselves into something and then deal with the consequences. Whereas um, with women, we tend to want to know that we've got the skills and the knowledge and the resources before we then take that next step. Um, so I, I have to be quite aware of that. When you're traveling around the world as a, as a young woman and you're meeting different cultures and, and different people, and some cultures have you know, more... Uh, ability to embrace a woman leader than others will say. Um, have you run into difficulties in, in that regard along the way? Have your, your authority as a woman being challenged in other cultures? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's definitely certain cultures. Most of the work that I've been doing in the past um, seven or eight years has been behind the scenes on quite major TV shows. Uh, and so I, my sort of job really on those starts with um with scouting for locations and putting the journeys and things together and there's certainly some uh, cultures that i've been i've worked in where as a woman i'm definitely not seen uh, on any sort of equal footing at all uh, and when i first started leading expeditions back in like my early 20s i found it quite hard because you know you want to prove yourself you want to do a good job 
uh, and yet you're not being listened to and it can be for your own ego it can be incredibly upsetting um, and frustrating in those situations and yeah so I spent many nights kind of battling with my own ego about it um, and then sort of I suppose over the years and sort of becoming quite used to that it's then I find other ways of being able to manage those situations so maybe I've got a, a guy in my team that I trust or um, a local guy that's used to working with western women um, and I'll use them to then get the message across about what needs to be done and then it's about actually we've got a job to do we need to achieve the job rather than my own ego playing out but uh, we can never shut it down. I haven't run into that um, personally myself in other cultures so much um, but but I see that it can be an issue and of course in life we run into that all the time right that because we're women there's there's some way that we're not as good at something especially in the outdoors it's been a male dominated field right so yeah it's a, it's a tricky thing to navigate i imagine and when it comes to men and women in survival do do women take a different approach than men when it comes to survival and and who do you think like at the end of the day if if there was a man and a woman on a desert island opposite sides who would survive longest <laughs> Uh, the woman, for sure. Yeah. Like this is, um, yeah, and it's it's not just me being like cheering on the women, but it really it really is because I, I guess I've had like the fortune over the years to uh, be dropped into these situations myself, right, with uh, teams where you've been dropped out for sort of weeks on end with no food, having to look after people in my care while we like forage and um, survive. And I think in general, women tend to come into these situations with more anxiety and fear on the surface whereas guys kind of come in with this bullish attitude I mean, this, is, this is a huge generalization but tend to come in with this very bullish um sort of attitude to to it um but a lot of the time it's quite a lot of like, hot air and it's like once mm. once you're out there in the wilderness once you've you've lost all the trappings of modern life and it's like you're all that sort of modern uh, facade and you know the facade for our everyday lives is kind of stripped away uh, you're just you're left with well a, a, a vulnerable ad, a animal if you like you know <laughs> underneath mm -hmm. it all mm -hmm. um, and that's when then it gets interesting and you start seeing the differences um, and sort of women really tend to kind of observe the environment uh, and have a look around and look for opportunities in that environment and kind of hold themselves back a little bit and really kind of look around. And I think part of it is down to sort of self-doubt and things as well. Um, but actually, sometimes that plays out in our favour um, and we can really observe and make a plan, then forge forwards with that. Whereas what I see with a lot of guys is that they jump into stuff without doing the preparation beforehand. And that's what often catches catches them out. And mm. I always find this so fascinating because it's a lot of like the wilderness survival stories and things that you read. It is like it is groups of people that are surviving that society wouldn't imagine. You know, we get so used to be seeing the Hollywood um you know, ex-military or military person who saves the world. <laughs> and that's our, that's our survivalist and things. And that's the view that we have on, on what a survivalist looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas actually uh, the reality is these stories and things over the years of women and children um, getting through like these amazing uh, sort of survival experiences and stories uh, completely kicks ass <laughs> of any of that Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that. Uh, what's perceived as a weakness in women can actually be our greatest strength when it comes to survival. That sort of not being sure and questioning and looking around and making a plan. That's that's amazing. Really, I, I really see this as like I see this as a superpower. As much as sometimes it frustrates the hell out of me, I also see it as a superpower because when I'm going in to do a job, so if I'm going in to do a film job um, and I'm coming in like a little bit later and I, you know, maybe I'm coming in with um, some male colleagues and I come onto a job and there's, I, what I find is that often like the teams that are already on the grounds will look to my male colleagues straight away, even if I'm heading up the job and they'll be trying to impress them. And then they get the blinkered because like they're being like, they're being um, told how amazing they are and all of this stuff. And then they're just like, wow, this is amazing. I'm loving this, like having my ego stroked. Uh, whereas because I'm not getting that, it's like I'm coming in. It gives me time to actually see really what's going on um, and not be influenced by praise and, and stuff. So it then allows me to actually come in and make a proper assessment of the of the situation and actually then be able to act from a place of rationality rather than uh, that my ego's been <laughs> pumped up. <laughs> mm. Mm. I love what you say about the the perception of these big, strong, you know, ex-military type men. And um, I was guiding a trip uh, many years ago and there was one of those type men, really lovely guy um, and a very timid woman. And we were on a whitewater canoe trip and she said, I want him as my canoe partner. And they were the first canoe to tip. So there's a lot of bravado going on and 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 her perception was I will be safe with him. <laughs> In fact, I think they were the only canoe that tipped on that trip. So we really have this this strong conditioning that that um uh, the man is going to keep us safe and then you walk in and you just blow the shit out of that. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. It's so, so hard to challenge these like traditional values, isn't it? And mm -hmm. the traditional perceptions of the male and female gender role. And it's like, I know that I still fall into this as mm. well in terms of like, um, you know, looking for to males for protection and things. Whereas actually you look at all the seriously badass women out there, like, and this is where social media I think is so powerful is that we can find, um, you know, people of minority, we can find women, um, people of different, you know, race, culture on online, and uh, they're doing some incredible things. And it's like their gender or their race or you know, whatever it is, isn't holding them back. And that's what I love about like the outdoors. It doesn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't care if you're male or female. Um, and if you can stay in that place of logical reasoning and, um, you yeah, know, things, and it's like you're you'll get so much out of spending time in nature and it's so empowering. And I think it gives, it's a great way of building up confidence in, you know, in women who might be feeling a bit anxious or have succumbed a lot to those kind of very traditional gender roles. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is that is really something that's so important is, is sort of slowly building those skills and building, as we say, go back to the resilience piece, right? Back to, the, to, to putting yourself into those challenging situations and finding, oh my goodness, I did it. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? When you get people coming in who are feeling a little bit timid or a little bit like lacking in confidence. And then it's like they achieve the first thing and the first step. And it's just like, whoa I never knew I was capable of this and then they're on to the next and the next and you you this is what's so amazing about being a guide I, I don't know if you you find the same thing it's like you 
join this person on this emotional journey and this emotional roller coaster and you see them achieve and you see them grow and you see them uh, accomplish things that they never thought was possible and it's Mm -hmm. just the most empowering thing to be part of that that's what I love about being kind is that to be part of that journey is just the most incredible thing it absolutely is. And, and I'm lucky that I, I get to stay in contact sometimes with the people that I've been on trips with. We become friends and we um, you know, stay in contact either in person or, or virtually. And to see how that transformation actually spreads out into their lives. It's not just something that happens on the trip, but many times these these experiences that people have of growth and understanding what they can actually accomplish, it spreads out into the rest of their lives. And and I think personally wilderness, you know, growth in the wilderness and learning in the wilderness can give us so much in terms of the rest of our lives. And I know you agree with me because you wrote a book on that subject. So I'd love to hear uh, a little bit about how that came about and, and, um, and if you could tell us a bit more about your book and how, um, how these things interplay for you. Yeah, so Mind of a Survivor um, was a book that I wrote out of interest. I just I just found it fascinating. It's like, like what we've been talking about is how come some people walk out of survival situations alive and thriving, whereas others don't? And it's like, what is it about those people? Like, what traits do they have that allows them to survive? And are those traits transferable from the wilderness survival scenario into everyday life uh, and and they they totally are i think um as we as we touched on earlier i think that it's a lot of these skills and and things that we learn in the outdoors um taking ownership of our own actions uh you know otherwise the consequences can be can be very real <laughs> and it's like you know when nature kicks your butt it's like you know you you feel it it kicks um, hard taking responsibility <laughs> It does. It really does. And it's even like, you know, it's even the little like mistakes, isn't it? Of like, you know, when you first start camping and leave your boots outside and it rains and they fill up with water and it's all those little lessons. And it's like those lessons that that the the nature teaches us about uh, how to look after ourselves and how strong we are and um, all these different traits that are part of resilience, like adaptability, intuition. um, And it, all of those skills that we can take from being out in the wild and put them back into into everyday life as well and even just going away for a weekend and camping it just it reprograms i mean it's scientifically proven now that just doing that actually can reset like the circadian rhythms and things of our bodies and help us sleep better it can boost our immune systems uh so spending time in nature is just it's flipping awesome for us in physically and emotionally Mm. so why aren't we all outside all the time (laughs) that's what I want to (laughs) know no no, it is is frustrating actually because um it is an under explored uh solution I think for a lot Mm. of people and I think because there's a lot of stuff on social media where uh there's the the adventurer movement is is a big thing and um a lot of this is about kind of pushing these uh what the perception of what are hardcore expeditions and this is what when I'm talking about getting outside I want to stress that it's not about getting it outside and going climbing Everest or pushing yourself on some crazy jungle survival trip it's literally just stepping out of your front door and being out in nature taking your dog for a walk going and playing with your kids in the woods and just 
just spend time out in amongst because it's it can it's such a great tool for mindfulness and that can just reset you know the, the stress systems and calm like the nervous system back mm-hmm. down again and put things back into perspective it's interesting you mentioned the nervous system and the fight and flight response and so much of what you do puts you into that realm right i imagine where your where your body's responding with a little bit of stress or maybe a lot of stress and how do you manage that for yourself like how do you manage the fact that you're often activated and um you know you've got that fight or flight response going on how do you bring yourself back down how do you manage how do you kind of process or integrate your experiences after the fact especially those not so much the guiding where you're in your comfort zone but when you're pushing your own boundaries yeah, it's a, it's a great question because, you know, as you've, you've said, it's like growth happens outside of our comfort zone. Um, so, you know, we all need to step outside of our comfort zones for, for that growth to happen. Um, and yeah, there's certainly, uh, you know, if I'm out rock climbing or you know, pushing myself on my own trips and things, it's, there, are, there are times when like you literally come face to face with yourself and you're face to face with your own mortality. and it's in those situations where you have to be able to kind of come back out of that, that stress response, because you can't function in that response. You're, you're in animal mode. Um, you can't, you can't control it. And it's much, much faster and much more powerful than uh, sort of the human part of our brain, which is uh, sort of a much more recent evolution uh, to our brains in addition to our brains. And that's much, much slower um, and it takes a lot more energy than the sort of the primal fight, flight, freeze response, which is there to protect us. It's an incredible survival mechanism, uh, but it never really evolved since our caveman ancestor time uh, to, to live. So we've, we've got inside us, we've got this caveman or cavewoman um, that's still reacting. It's uh, very primal and it's still reacting to any sort of stimulation around us that causes us any sort of stress. So that could be yeah, from being caught in an avalanche or it could be from seeing other people's perfect lives on social media um, mm. it, it cannot differentiate between the two because it's it's a response um, and it's about coming being able to come back out of that um, so in in everyday life I, I tend I've started doing quite a lot of journaling so when I am triggered and my anxiety is triggered in sort of everyday life it's like I'll sit down and I'll write down what the trigger is why it's come from like what the healthy behavior should be to this and basically i'm analyzing my response to this uh to see if i'm actually if there's any truth in it because <laughs> we lie to ourselves a lot mm. uh, and then out in the out in the wilderness when i'm triggered in this method i then i do if it's safe to do so i will stop stop think observe and plan and work on breathing it's amazing just like focusing on our breathing and taking ourselves back in so anyone who rock climbs knows you know we've all been there where you're you're balancing on there and you're trying to get your next bit of gear and you've got tunnel vision all you can see is this bit of rock in front of you and you're gripping on so tightly and your legs are shaking and you're just like i'm gonna fall off and it's horrendous so we've we've all been there um but it's like if you can just stop and i so I always in those moments, I put my piece of gear in and I have a process when I've clipped into my gear and I'm going to go for the next bit. I always say safe. And that always just resets me 
for the next next sort of stage up to my next bit of gear um and uh yeah so that really calms down so having those processes uh and those kind of rituals if you like um and then if i am midway between here it's then a case of just just stopping a moment and breathing and just relaxing everything um and so and then suddenly it's like those blinkers uh come off and you can actually mm. see around in your periphery as well and actually see handholds and footholds that you weren't able to see before Yes, the fight, flight, or freeze response, we do get into that tunnel vision. And uh, it, it's great when you have the opportunity to stop. I, I've been guiding whitewater trips and horseback riding trips, and there's not always a stop button <laughs> in either of those scenarios. And so it's often a matter of literally in the mess of it all, kind of opening my vision to look around, to see what's going on, to, to calm you know, to calm through breath and all that. But there, yeah, the stopping is, is great when you can. It's not, not always an option. No, it's, it's so true. And, and like you said, it's like, it's trying not to let it snowball, is it? Because it's like in those situations where you can't stop, it's like if you let your anxiety keep going and going and going, it just gets so so big that you can't control it anymore mm-hmm. um so yeah you have to find a way to, to be able to shut it down and realistically it, it comes from experience doesn't it and being able to you know to be able to know okay i've actually got this we're okay mm-hmm. um, but like you said yeah look, looking around um and noticing things around you instantly kind of re-diverts your attention elsewhere for a moment <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Tell me about the work that you've been doing um, on TV. Is that that sort of a whole other branch of what you do? Yeah, so I've, I've been working behind the scenes on um, TV shows now for about 15 years. Um, I initially started off, I kind of fell into it, I suppose, in a way. Um, yeah, many years ago, I was asked to do the ropes, like so stunt rigging for uh, a TV show with um, a presenter uh, called Bear Grylls, who I had at the time, I had no idea. I don't, I don't really watch TV, although I make it, I don't really watch TV. Uh, and I had no idea who this guy was, but it just sounded like fun. Um, and it was the it was the his his first show. Um, so for those of you that don't know Bear Grylls, he's he's quite a famous TV survivalist and he's now been around for sort of over a decade on tv uh, and I started off on the first season of his um, and I think it became very quickly apparent to the production crews that I had this exhibition leading experience as well as like the stunt rigging experience and uh, I'd randomly done a three-year apprenticeship in bushcraft and survival as well um, and it, that combined then I suppose kind of made it cheaper to employ one person rather than a team of people mm. Um, and then over the years, so I start, that's how I started off with it. And then over the years, I've then mostly now do like the location scouting and putting together the content for these shows. Um, so I'll, I'll start when they, when a show comes up with a new concept or a production company or a network comes up with a new concept, uh, I'll, they'll contact me and we'll have a talk through about how it looks, how they could achieve their goals, locations, um, and all, all of these things. And then I get deployed out into country to go and find, find these things, uh, and put these shows together. And then once we start filming, then I'm running the safety on these shows. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite diverse and it's, mm. yeah, it's been, been amazing. You have quite a mixed bag of skills <laughs> and you probably get this question a lot, but for what I'm imagining from what I'm hearing from you is that you've kind of set your life up so that you you're able to say yes to the opportunities that come along. Uh, but how, how did you, how did you start out down this road? 
Yeah, well, I never knew a career like this existed. So when I was at school, um, both my parents had come from quite rough backgrounds and had worked really hard academically to get themselves into better situations. Um, uh, So I think as the oldest, I'm the oldest of four, uh, that there was the assumption that I would follow suit. And I just really struggled to sit still in in lessons. I have, although it's only been diagnosed recently as I have ADD. Mm. um, So it's like (laughs) sitting inside and between four walls made me really anxious. And I just wanted to be out. Um, My dad was originally a geologist and had done a lot of expeditions all over the world. so all our family holidays were to go off looking at rocks around the UK and the mountains. Um, so I suppose I had those opportunities as a child. And then I was very involved with the military cadets, where I then took advantage of, of much adventurous training as I could get my hands on. Uh, and it just kind of started, started from there, really. I had no idea there was a career in it. And then I took a year between school and university and went off to New Zealand and ended up just stroke of luck or fate, ended up working in that outdoor centre out there for a year. Uh, And that really set me on my path. Suddenly I realised that there's this whole career in outdoor instruction and guiding. Um, And it, yeah, just just went on from there, really. Um, Mm. And it's just been amazing. I never had like a set because I get asked a lot, like, what are the steps that you took to get Mm -hmm. to where you are? And it's just it was just a random, uh, I guess it was it, it. just being open to opportunities that came along and seeing life as um you know this kind of challenge and exciting adventure and yeah these amazing opportunities came along but I always think and I always say to people you know who's who say to other people that you know that they're lucky and things it's like luck is like those chance meetings uh, and things and it might open a door for you but it's hard work and hard graft that keeps you in those positions so for anybody that is listening and who might be interested in a career in adventure or working in media uh, you know the key to it is hard work is uh, you know going out there getting the experience for yourself knowing that you know on on social media it looks beautiful when when you're out in these amazing environments but most of the time the weather's pretty crap (laughs) and so you have to be able to go out in these environments and know that you can look after yourself and look after other people so building up your own personal skills and then going and doing apprenticeships or shadowing other guides in the industry and learning from them and then just building up like that and just yeah never stop learning like this is what's so amazing about the you know the outdoors and survival as well is that they're topics that you never ever stop learning and it's just that's what I love about it every single person I work with I learn something from them even if it's not what not to do (laughs) right (laughs) thanks for showing me where not to go in that rapid <laughs> putting my life in danger there. <laughs> Let's not do that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well done. <laughs> so, uh, I understand part of of what you do is uh, foraging. So you go out into the wild without food, and you have to find your own food. So, what's uh, what's something really strange or, or unusual that you've that you've called food that we might not otherwise call food in an everyday environment? <laughs> So on the on the original Man vs Wild shows uh, with Bear Grylls, they, there was a thing where he he was always eating like gross stuff on TV, like on camera. But whatever he ate, like the crew always had to eat behind scenes as well. So, uh, oh, like I drunk like the water squeezed out from elephant dung and um, all sorts of bugs and insects and grubs and things. And actually, some of them are really good. I love like. Um, 
grubs, you know, where they've like it's all bamboo worms and the witch tea grubs because they've got this like this, they're so creamy inside. And it's like, I actually really like them. Um, but I think the worst thing that I've ever eaten them like, is, um, is it's like a Filipino delicacy called uh, bluet, which is a fertilized egg that's been boiled and it's got this little chip in there and it's oh, I just I can't do it. It's got this massive head and this little feathery body and it's oh. Oh, it's grim. I can't do it. <laughs> so, so did you give a, a, a miss to that one or did you actually get it down? Well, it's a case of putting it in and swallowing it. But yeah. like, oh, oh, it's so horrible. <laughs> All right. And I'm not so sure about those grubs either. <laughs> you make them sound delicious, but I'm not, I'm not so sure. I'll, I'll take my beef jerky, I think. <laughs> Luckily, I have... Yeah, because yeah. in these like indigenous cultures, they're, um, you know, for them, it's not a delicacy, you know, it's their staple diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, once you start getting, they're like, they look at you and it's like, why are you grossed out by this? This is like, this is just our normal diet. Um, exactly. And it's like, once you start participating in it and get your head out of the, this is grim, it's actually a lot of it. It actually tastes quite, quite nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it does if you can get past <laughs> the idea of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> So we've uh, we've been kind of locked down uh, for the last year or so. So I imagine you haven't been doing as much as uh, as as in in the past. But what is your next adventure? Do you have something lined up uh, coming up in the future, near future? Um, yeah. So, so I'm kind of still waiting for the world to kind of to kind of open up. It's like I have my own a few of my own expeditions that were supposed to be running last year and this year um that i'm not quite sure if they're going to go ahead um i'm supposed to be working out in china um training survival instructors out there uh for a couple of months and again i, I don't think that's going to go ahead and all the tv stuff um is kind of on pause so but do you know what like as it's actually i've seen this as a blessing obviously like you know as everybody it's like the financial side of things is a little bit worrying um uh, but it's i've seen this time as an amazing opportunity really because as you know, like when you're guiding, it's like your mind is taken up 24 hours a day with your clients and you know, with looking after people and moving through this terrain, uh, which I absolutely love. But it doesn't give you any time really to be able to think about life and you know some of the decisions that you may have made in the past and things. And I'm kind of I'm ready for like the next chapter of of life, whatever that looks like. I'd I my career has been quite dictated our time has been quite dictated by the film work over the past 10 years really uh, and I'd quite like to be able to go and have more of my own adventures again and have a little bit more control over my my schedule a bit more so um, that's that's the plan for the next the next stage. Nice do you have a bucket list thing that you want to do like a trip you want to do or some activity is there something that you haven't done yet that you're just like I really want to do that? <laughs> Um, I really want to go down to Antarctica. I've never, never been down there. Um, I've got some potential clients that uh, are interested in going and doing some new ski descents out there. So I'm really, really hoping <laughs> that things will lift and the world will get moving again uh, so that we can get on with, with planning those, those trips. That sounds amazing. And Wild Woman is uh, just launching some Antarctica, Antarctica adventures uh, for 2022. So maybe we'll see you down there. <laughs> amazing that's awesome that would be awesome thank you so much for chatting with me today megan it's been illuminating and so interesting to get to know you a little bit and and uh, share some of your story and adventures with us thank you thank you so much thank you
No, thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a real honour to be talking to, to a fellow guide. Hmm. <laughs> if you want to find out more about Megan Hine, check out her website at meganhine.com or follow her on Instagram at Megan underscore Hine. You can find these links and others in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Wild Women Expeditions is a global leader in women's adventure travel. And we're so much more. We're nature lovers. We aim to empower women and communities around the world. Want to know more? Check us out at wildwomenexpeditions.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs>